AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Hi, Stan. Understand you have a new story about a steel job malware for us. Uh, yes, Karen. Actually, I was reviewing my uh, feed of threat intelligence from different sources, and uh, this one from Alien Vault kind of stuck out at me. There's this um, APT group targeting uh, Southeast Asian kind of uh, targets, targets in Pakistan. Uh, and so one of the things that uh, this company, Patch Sky Threat Intelligence, uh, has discovered uh, is there's this variant of malware. It's for Android phones. Um, the way you download it is not through like a Play Store. You, you get it because maybe somebody fished you or tricked you into installing it. Uh, you install this malware and it's basic spyware. It can do lots of different things. Uh, but the unique thing about it, like a lot of APT malware, it's specifically targeted towards the types of people that would be most likely to download it. So um, as the story goes, I guess um, Kashmir province is uh, you know, a disputed region between Pakistan and India. and um, there's a lot of conflict there, a lot of propaganda. So the app is actually themed towards a new site, um, uh, you know, in that region. They were targeting um, pretty sophisticated, socio-political ways to make sure that they got people to be exploited by their malware. Now, for me personally, I'm always interested in the indicators. So um, when I read the write-up um, from uh, Patch Sky Threat Intelligence. Uh, and I recommend everybody reads it because it's got a lot, a ton of detail about exactly how the malware works. Um, examples of code from the malware. If you're a malware researcher, I think that would be really interesting to review so you can learn more about it. Um, but basically, you could see it's um, standard malware. So I took that and I said, hey, can we find additional samples? And um, VirusTotal is actually a great place to look for um, uh, malware. Uh, relationships between malware based on their uh, the name of the malware or specific functionality within it and quickly within a few minutes I found um, hundreds of samples out there but with different uh, targeting information so not just um, targeting this you know, Kashmir region but targeting other items of interest within that part of the world um, and other similar parts um, re-themed and re-skinned versions of the same thing. So I think this is another thing that we have to be more cautious about, that, uh, you know, mobile malware hasn't been so big, but it's starting to get bigger. For me personally, you know, we always know about, you know, we've been talking about mobility malware for quite some time. Um, so it's quite interesting to see how this has evolved over the past few years, how APT groups are starting to adopt it. Um, it does seem though they're still tricking people like with some of these off-market apps they're really tricking people to install them instead of it being in like the official Play Store because it does seem like the Play Stores do a better job of uh, weeding out the negative types of apps. Well your mileage does vary uh, for that like just uh, recently Google had to pull 25 applications off the Play Store, the official Play Store because they contain spyware uh, so they, you know, are constantly fighting that fight, right? Trying to make sure that nothing gets past the, the scrubbers. Uh, so it's always something uh, that's evolving, right? Even things you get from the legitimate Play Store, you've got to, you know, look at something, you know, that's somewhat cautiously. Uh, so it's really, um, we're getting to the point now where you're starting to see more um, uh, solutions uh, come to market for 
um, you know, anti-malware type solutions for mobile devices like you would see on a PC or something like that. Actually, as I was getting ready to come today and I was looking at and reading some more articles, there was, I, Mike, maybe you and I were both looking at the same article about how Google is trying to get a little more aggressive and they've actually taken down some actually good uh, uh applications in their kind of trying to be better about getting rid of the malware that's in the in the Play Store. Yep, I imagine there must be hundreds of thousands of apps there now. I know there's yeah. kids are downloading whatever looks the most interesting, the most colorful thing, and I think this is where adversaries can actually sneak in uh, malware on the, you know, for example, if you're like a security researcher, and you're a parent of like a 10-year-old who's downloading stuff, that's, that's <laughs> where you have to be afraid of because most likely your mobile malware is going to come from your kids, infect your local network, and uh, <laughs> then you're in trouble. There you go. On your mobile phone, you know, there's so much private information. You have to be very mindful of what you're putting there. Uh, don't put apps that you don't really need uh, because even if they come from the Play Store, uh, they could still have a component that's unwanted. Hey, Mike, uh, what story do you have for us today? Uh, so I was taking a look at some of the data around ransomware infections uh, recently. You know, ransomware you know, continues to be a significant threat to enterprises and individuals. And I came across a report uh, that looked at uh, kind of the state of ransomware attacks in Q1 of 2019 to kind of get like a current pulse of what's going on. There was some things there that really weren't terribly surprising. You know, retail, healthcare, and industrial and manufacturing verticals continue to be targeted very, you know, highly um, by ransomware. That is a little worrisome. Uh, whether or not people are getting some of these malware, ransomwares are going to get into industrial controls. But there were some other aspects of uh, ransomware behavior that, that were a bit surprising and certainly correlate with some things that we're seeing um, within our own customer type of engagements. Um, ransomware attacks are becoming uh, more targeted and more hands-on. There's been a trend over the last one to two years of adversaries infiltrating a, a network through a breach, some kind of weakness somewhere, and then making their way into the corporation and installing ransomware on the most important assets. Uh, ransoms have also increased as a result of this. Um, they're they're you know, shifting toward targeting enterprises with deeper pockets so that they, they can pay. Uh, the ransom, uh, on average, um, according to one study I saw, had increased about 89% over Q4 of last year and is averaging about $13,000 right now. Um, however, for enterprises uh, who have more than 200 employees, the real risk there is from a particular strain of ransomware called RIAC, uh, which tends to be impacting them more than others. And the average ransom uh, that RIAC is looking at is over $280,000. So they're definitely looking for some large dollar payouts uh, from these infections. Did, I did see in, the, in what I read that actually the overall number they said, though, had declined. Didn't I read that? That the, that the payouts had gone up, but the actual number of... Um, attacks had declined. That's a that's an interesting data point, and it's one that honestly you can find contested depending upon uh, whose data set you look at. Right? What most of them do agree on, though, depending regardless of whose data you're looking at, is that really the cost of downtime is really increasing. 
And because the ransomware is becoming more targeted um, and that the uh, actors are really taking more of a hands-on approach to deploying the malware, um, that it's being uh, much more effective uh, at its job, and that's making the downtime drag on longer. Um, and the cost of the downtime from, you know, lost workstation hours, slack labor, um, you know, lost opportunities and revenue generation, you know, can be anywhere from five to ten times uh, the cost of the ransom itself. Clearly, uh, it's the amount of money not just paid in ransomware, but lost in terms of work is increasing. Have there been any cases of ransomware where people paid and actually got their files back? Do you know? Do you happen to know? Well, based on the data that I've seen, um, you know, it's actually there's there's some good news there um, in that um, the answer is yes, that most of the uh, organizations that um, paid to get the key back actually retrieved um, some portion of their files. And this is where, again, you have to be really measure that business case very, very closely because Law enforcement officials and, and you know folks in the security space really you know recommend not paying the ransom. Do your homework in advance. Make sure you're um, protected from ransomware. That you have processes in place uh, to prevent putting yourself in the position of having to pay the ransom. So make sure that you've got you know a layered approach to protecting yourself from ransomware and recovering from that, and that you have controls in place to make sure that those. Um, you know, backups aren't getting encrypted. We always say this defense in depth, so you need to have defenses to, to understand where things are going in your network so that something that you don't expect doesn't get access to everything else that's in your network. And again, the ability to restore um, in a disaster, just if you had a tornado, you need to recover. If you have ransomware, you need to recover. Hey, Karen. Uh, what you got for us this week? Well, Mike, my story is a lot like your story in that it's a new service, ransomware as a service, um, called INPIVX in PIVX. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, um, but basically it was a service that someone found on Tor that for $500 you could basically download your own ransomware solution. So we know this is happening more often, but what's interesting about it was it really was a complete package of everything you needed to get into the ransomware business, including a dashboard that would help you understand who was um, actually infected. It had all your decryption keys associated with it, and it could keep track of who was um, who had been infected, and it even enabled chat services with your victim. Originally, we generally think of people using ransomware that you have to have really strong technical skills to be able to exploit it, the de-encryption, the encryption, all of these things. And what they've done is they realized that they can uh, extend the use of rans ransomware to non-technical people. It was really shocking to me, honestly. You know, I've been working in the DDoS space for a while, and obviously DDoS attacks are pretty darn cheap. But, you know, you're getting to this point where you can actually do the same thing in terms of ransomware, which is, I thought that the uh, kind of barriers to entry would be a little higher. So I guess you might call this the democratization of malware, which I think is just scary for all of us. <laughs> That does sound scary, especially 
when you're taking, so I guess a lot of people who fall victim to ransomware, they might not be like super technically astute. And now you're throwing into the mix non-technically astute uh, hackers <laughs> or adversaries. And um, I guess there's some risk for recoverability there. You know, so if you're taking somebody else's ransomware and trying to deploy it, you kind of know a little bit less about it. Um, so it's most more likely that the files will not be recoverable if uh, you know somebody is infected with a framework like that. Uh, well, what's interesting in this case is that they sold you the complete source code for the dashboard and the the encryption. Um, but given the price point, as you were saying, it's likely that a lot of you know uh, lower level, um, less technical types of individuals are going to be uh, kind of jumping into that fray and making changes. And that's where we get into those challenges, because if the decryptor doesn't work, uh, then paying the ransom is going to become you know, less effective and, and, and those types of things. I also think that there could be a predatory element here. Um, in the past, um, looking at some of these sort of turnkey operations, um, you dig into the code and you find out that um, you know, maybe the, the code that you bought is actually skimming the credit cards that you're skimming and sending them back to the That's author. That's a good point. And, you know, so they're actually trojaning you for your $500 or something like that. You know, this one, I would have to give advice to the bad guys. Don't trust malware you download from bad guys. There could be a trojan there. In fact, there almost certainly is. And for the authors, it basically becomes the you know, multi-level marketing version of, of crime, right? Because now yeah. you've got all these different people out there that are doing your work for you. Uh, so there's, there's multiple drivers here, I would say. It kind of reduces the risk for them as well, because now they don't have to worry about doing the criminal act themselves. Yes. It's just creating the software that facilitates it, and they're not hosting it or any of that. So they can make their money quicker, I guess. Uh, the only thing is I believe in some countries creating software that can do like a malicious deed is also a crime uh, itself. Yes, it is. So. Yeah. But just like any other business, right? <laughs> Maximize profits, minimize effort. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the same reason why they have to pay, they have to give you your files back because it would be bad customer service if they don't stand. Uh, yes. <laughs> if they're not arrested or, or gone exactly. or something. Right. So we as security practitioners have to be uh, vigilant, you know, first of all, keeping up with the news about these things. But really, again, you want to have preventative measures, and then you want to be able to detect things and then respond to them. So it's kind of like all your protections or, or your toolbox should have all of these three components in there. Prevention, detection, and then response. Hey, Karen, I have the internet weather today. I have actually a couple of different things that I've been exploring, so um, hopefully you'll enjoy them. Uh, so this, will start with the basics. This is our top 10 most pro ports. There's not many changes here. We see the usual as we always see. Um, uh, the, the only thing I noticed is that port 8089 jumped up seven places from 14 uh, last week. Uh, it's in place seven today. And uh, 8545 um, has jumped up. Uh, so on a quiet week like this week, um, I'm inspired to go and look at stuff that we haven't looked at for a while. So the first thing I decided to look at is port 80. Now port 80, usually when we talk about it, we describe it as, you know, it's a web port. And so this is HTTP type activity. 
Uh, but we've been working with some honeypot data, uh, and I wanted to take a chance and investigate that a little bit more. Um, so here you'll see uh, the one key thing is, um, in our honeypot, where is the port 80 scanning coming from? Uh, and it's all over the world. Everybody in the world is scanning for port 80. Uh, but when they scan for port 80, what protocol are they using? So one of the things that our honeypot can do is detect that. Um, and so most of the activity on port 80 is HTTP. So we're 97% accurate when we say that <laughs> HTTP is uh, the activity that happens. But you see over there is about 3% uh, of activity that's something else. Um, so why are people scanning on port 80? Well, I believe most of it is to just do like reconnaissance. So a lot of it is these internet companies that tell you, hey, this device has a web service open on port 80, or like these um, search engines, they scan on port 80 to find all the different websites out there. Right. Um, there's lots of security researchers. There's also bad guys. So um, as I was looking at some of the exploits, um, this one kind of jumped out at me. And so I prepared a little dashboard here for you just to show you what that looks like. So the thing that I keyed in on is this malicious domain name. It's part of the exploit. It's hognoob.se. And if you search that, you'll notice uh, that activity trying to exploit different exploits on port 80 is coming uh, and, and attempting to download something from this domain is coming from actually all over the world. But the heaviest concentrations are actually in China, in Asia. But what I decided to see is, is it only happening on port 80? Are there other ports? And when I did that um, in the honeypot, you could see there's uh, a list. I believe there were like um, there were definitely over 20 different types of ports that are also uh, subject to exploitation activity with from the, the same, same domain name. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. And what this is letting me know is that there is some kind of a, a global threat, or maybe even a botnet that's spreading. It's probably heavily concentrated in Asia or in China, uh, but there are vulnerable devices all, all over the world. And um, they are you know, infected and trying to spread this, but they're not doing it on one port. They're doing it on all of these other different ports. So how much was port 80? As a comparison, I, I didn't quite see that. Can you? Uh, let's see. Is port so 80 predominant is, uh, or is it? Port 80 is predominant in general against the honeypot, but for this, it doesn't look like it's no, actually that's what even I mean. in the it's top 20. It's not even in the, uh, right, oh, in the top 20. So most of this traffic at this domain is actually to uh, heading towards uh, port 7000. Oh, it's hard. Okay. Um, so, you know, that's where I guess the most uh, events are. Uh, but port 80 would be in this other category. So it didn't even make it. it was That's right. Um, so uh, what we knew about it a month ago uh, was all this, and you can see that month's episode to see what we thought. But one thing I guess I'd like to point out is at the time uh, we were saying maybe there's a Chinese threat actor attempting to do this. Uh, but now seeing that global map and seeing where the stuff is coming from, it does appear that it's happening from all over the world. It might be a Chinese threat, um, but it is probably a botnet that's now infecting lots of devices. Um, so uh, let's now that we've explored port 80, let's look at port 8089. Uh, let's see what the honeypot uncovers for us. Before we do that, I always like to see for scan probes, what does the volume look over the past like 30 days or even longer back? And when you do that, you could see the activity is um, it's kind of up and down through the last 30 days. And so the latest spike was, I guess, yesterday. Um, so let's see if we can figure out what that was about. 
Um, so I looked at it, I grabbed all the IP addresses that were related to that spike, and what I learned is that uh, there's a very famous internet census company. They, they scan the internet and they try to figure out uh, what's listening on what port, and they happen to be doing that on port 8089. However, uh, there was something else I noticed in the data. So when I reviewed the scanning activity, there were about 13 IP addresses that were doing something a little bit different. And the thing that they were doing different is that the source port usually changes quite often when you connect to servers out there. But they were using the same one. Uh, what I found interesting about this is that these are data centers kind of like all over the world, not in one spot or one region, uh, but they all had the same source port um, scanning across every single uh, time, every single IP address they scanned for this port, 8089, they were using the same um, source port. Uh, so I found that interesting. Um, it's not clear what that might be, so there's not much you can say about that. But let's look at the honeypot and see uh, what the honeypot tells us. Uh, first, this is what I like to look at, is what are the protocols? So most of the protocols on this port are HTTP or some kind of HTTP discovery. This could mean that people are looking maybe for a proxy that's listening, or perhaps they're looking for an exploit that's on a common service on that port, like, for example, these references to HNAP um, or this administrative login interface or some of these, this manager HTML, I believe that's looking for Tomcat. But there is like one third of the data is quite interesting. So a few, like 10% of the scanners, they connect to the honeypot and then they just stop. So they don't initiate a connection, so it's empty. A bunch of them are speaking SSL right from the beginning, so they're looking for SSL server. And um, you know, 7% are actually trying to do RDP over this port, which is kind of weird, because that's not the port for RDP. Um, <laughs> and you could see where the stuff is distributed. It is also worldwide. Uh, maybe later after the show, I can actually look and see. What I found in the past is that if you look at RDP, that might come from a specific country of origin. So that's the story for most pro ports. Now let's take a look at my favorite thing, botnets. So for that, we use a top 10 most sources probing report. Again, it's a very flat list. There's no changes from last week. Predominantly, you know, things swapped here and there. So I'm gonna try to tackle it a little bit like reviewing things that we've talked about in the past or review things that we haven't talked about for a while. So let's talk about port 445. This is usually associated with SMB. So I went back 900 days uh, to see what has that scanning activity or scan sources activity been like um, on this port. Um, so you could see a long time ago, uh, this is a long time ago, 2017, uh, there used to be a Trojan, uh, a, an old worm that was spreading on this port and there were about 10,000 devices scanning for that. And then, you know, Eternal Blue, Eternal Romance came out and WannaCry came out and that's that little spike right there. And after that, that just that WannaCry just kind of skyrocketed as you could see. But you could see the number of sources, which would probably correlate to the number of infected devices that are part of the botnet, is starting to kind of trend down for um, quite some time actually here. Hopefully it's for a good reason. These devices hopefully are getting cleaned up. Um, so let's take a look at this. So a lot of times we say WannaCry is what's happening on this port. And I wanted to see in the honeypot data, is there a distinction that maybe something else is occurring? So two thirds of it is SMB. But surprisingly, people are doing uh, HTTP scanning on it as well, about 20% of the time. There's some SSL as well, um, and then some empty packets and RDP again. Our friend RDP is scanning on every port. 
Um, you could see it's probably, I would say, this would be a global distribution for me uh, because of how the honeypot is not really all over the place. It's kind of like localized in a few just a few locations. Um, and then uh, these are actually the raw bytes that get sent over this port. And um, I was looking for differences in the, this binary data, and I only found two on port 445. Uh, so this is probably, I'm guessing this is WannaCry because it's happening so much more. And then there is this other, this blacked out thing, uh, this other type of exploitation activity or scanning activity that's happening on port 445. This could be related to that older Trojan or maybe another vulnerability that I'll be happy to dig into. So now let's move on to port 5431 TCP. We've actually talked about this one a lot. I talked about it a lot. Um, and so just for historical reasons, I decided to go back 300 days. And so this is the number of devices scanning. You could see a while ago, looks like about maybe the end of June last year, uh, the number of IP addresses scanning on this port was maybe you know 80,000 or around 80,000. Uh, and there was a bunch of devices just scanning at the same time, stopping, then a few days later, scanning, stopping, yep. scanning, stopping. Well, it looks like the adversary, you could see, they, they started like changing their tactics. So they became like, they started scanning slower, not all at the same time, maybe to evade detection. But every day. Uh, but now, yes, they're doing it every day and just under 10,000. So the, the botnet or whatever this is, this network of devices that's scanning is rotating through. So it's not all 80,000 at the same time, it's right. 10,000 per hour. Um, this is uh, actually the last time I was on Threat Track. I talked about the same port, so I wanted to revisit it. So this is the map that we showed last year, uh, last month, um, and this is what it looks like today. I don't know if you caught the changes. Um, some places got a little bit darker, and some pe pe places got a little bit uh, lighter. Uh, but this is just variability in scanning. Stop, yeah. You know, this stuff is changing. But obviously, heavy presence in Latin America, in the U.S., in Europe, and in, uh, in India, India yeah. as well, and some parts of Australia there. So uh, lots of devices, probably. Well, I know what this is because we talked about this. Um, so this is just this is in the last episode of Threat Track. We talked about it a lot. Um, uh, but just for reference, it's these devices um, with the Broadcom chip. Um, they have UPnP exposed on this port. And uh, a while ago, like in 2013, somebody discovered a zero-day vulnerability. So you can imagine this vulnerability has been around for a while. Yeah. Until today, you know, there's maybe 80,000, maybe 10,000 an hour IP addresses yeah. uh, that are affected. Um, they probably have this Broadcom chip. They're probably specific ISPs that deploy specific hardware in certain of these regions. Um, and most likely that's the, the root yeah. cause. Um, and that's it for the internet weather. Great job, Stan. Thank you. I think in the internet weather, we made it pretty big this time because we, we incorporated our honeypot analysis as well. So I don't know that there was any new particular threat that we saw, but I thought what we saw was an interesting um, methodology of how you could research what might be happening in your own network. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.